welcome to the inaugural episode of Deep Thoughts, Shallow Plots. My name's Erica, and I really like to watch horror movies. And my name's Katie, and I really like to overanalyze texts. And we're just two chill chicks who take horror flicks way too seriously. Way too seriously. Uh, today we are going to overanalyze the 2011 film The Cabin in the Woods, directed by Drew Goddard um, and written by Drew Goddard along with Joss Whedon. All right, I'm excited. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Katie, I don't know if you remember, but you and I saw this movie in theaters together. I do remember because it was essentially the first horror film I watched. That's true. I made you come with me. Yeah. And so you don't love horror movies as much as I do. So why did you um, decide to come see this movie with me? For the un- the now problematic reason that I enjoy Joss Whedon's writing. He's oh. a bit of a problematic figure in these days. But, okay. But I grew up on the Buffy and sure. the Angel, even goddamn Dollhouse, you know. Sure, yeah. So I was like, yeah, this will be fun and probably not too scary. I was a little scared. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, It's actually Cabin in the Woods is one of those movies that I wish I could watch for the first time again. Um, Because the first time you watch it, you're like taking in all of these, you know, these things and you're trying to figure out what the fuck is going on, you know. Um, And it's just a lot of fun. And yeah, a little bit scary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, I definitely the whole time in the theater was like, there is going to be a zombie coming up behind me with a bear trap at any moment. And Erica will save me from it. So it's okay. And I'm not going to be scared. I swear. Yeah. Um, And we've actually watched this movie a lot since it came out. We've watched it together a lot. It kind of became our movie. And we've talked about it a lot. So we figured that that would be a really good place to start for our new podcast about horror movies. Yeah. 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 Um, You want to give us a little rundown of the plot for people who haven't seen it in a while? Yeah. So if you've never seen Cabin in the Woods. You should probably stop and go see it because you don't want it spoiled before you see it. (laughs) It's a highly recommend. Yeah. Highly recommend. Um, So basically it's about these five young people were led to believe they're in college. um, And they're friends um, somehow. And they are going on what we, again, they don't really explicitly say, but maybe like a weekend getaway to one of the characters' cousin's cabins in the woods. And that's the title. That's the title. And so uh, they're in this cabin and through uh, a series of events that we find out are not entirely within their control, mm-hmm. they're led into the cellar, which is just... Uh, completely full packed chock-a-block to the brim with uh mysterious looking artifacts um and we find out that they need to pick one uh that will basically deliver their punishment uh we find out that this is uh being put on by a very mysterious company mm-hmm. is that what we're calling them a company i've just been calling them the company the yeah. company yeah they've got a director uh, yeah they know. do yeah They've got an R&D department. Yeah. yeah, they've got, uh, yeah. Maintenance. Maintenance, absolutely. Uh, this company is. They have interns. They have interns, yes. I wonder how much, I hope that intern was getting paid. I know, right? I think he was. They, they seem like a very wealthy company, so they definitely had the money, whether they are giving it or not. Right. I don't know. Everyone should pay their interns. Um, <laughs> that's a sidebar. Um, and. They go into this, uh, the cellar in this cabin, you know, strewn about with a bunch of mysterious artifacts. And one of the characters, um, Dana, Dana, 
Um, she finds a book and, you know, commits the the ultimate faux pas in a horror movie, which is she reads a sentence in Latin out loud, um, which summons a specific monster. And this is where we find out that there are many monsters that could have been summoned. Um, but they summon the redneck zombie torture family of the Buckners. And the Buckners are then summoned and uh hilarity ensues you know um yeah marty does hit one with a bong so i guess that was hilarity actually (laughs) hilarious uh and and the it is the the job of the redneck zombie torture family the buckners to uh to punish meaning murder these these young people as a as a ancient ritual for what we we only refer to them as the ancient ones uh what i'm just kind of assuming are old gods who were once in charge of the world and and still are um in that they need to be appeased about seems like once a year annually yeah um appeased with uh human sacrifice particularly a a sacrifice of youth Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. um and it has uh i don't want to give too much away just yet um, but it has one of the better endings of any horror film that I've ever seen. Um, yeah, I have thoughts about the ending, too. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, because it's at the end, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. A very good place to end. A very good place to end, yes. Um, <laughs> but we're just at the start. So, Katie, do you want to start anywhere in particular? We've seen this movie so many times. Is yeah. there anything that was, like, new to you this time? Also, probably the first time we watched this movie separately. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about that, too. I was like, have I ever watched this without you? Maybe with, like, somebody else? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. But that's because we talked during horror movies, and we knew that we wanted to record this for the first episode of our podcast. So uh, we watched it separately. So, yeah. So anything, like, new this time that came Um, around for you that you thought was really interesting? One thing I was thinking about, the company, actually. Yeah. Um is how wild it is, because this company seems pretty big. How many of them, down to, like, the kitchen staff, seems to know exactly what they're there for? Right. Because they're all involved in the betting pool. So they know that there are monsters and old gods and magic. And, like, can you imagine being somebody who works in a kitchen and also has to deal with, like, the weight of knowing (laughs) that... Of the ancient ones. (laughs) Yeah, who are currently slumbering. And the sacrifice of human youth. And then you're just cooking food for people who are, like, you know over in the next room working on killing some co-eds huh and an intern and an in and they have an intern right where'd they get that intern like does he is he in in college yeah. like where what's he studying what yeah. kind of credit is he hoping to get because i mean he's so close to being one of the sacrifices he could be you know he could be a yeah. marty instead of marty i love marty i think Maybe before we get too much further, we should establish the characters. Uh, so we have five main characters who 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 create the five main archetypes. We've got uh, Chris Hemsworth, who plays uh, Kurt Vaughn. Um, his archetype is the athlete, though I have thoughts about that. Oh, me too. Okay, good. Um, we've got Kristen Connolly, who plays Dana Polk. She's the virgin. I have thoughts about that as I have well. So many thoughts. Yeah. Um, we've got my boy Franz Krantz. Or Fran Krantz. Yeah, Fran It's just Fran. Krantz. It's one Fran. There, you just want to put the z- 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 everywhere. Who plays uh, Marty 
Malansky. Malansky. I have never before heard any of these last names. Are they actually in the film? I had to look them up. Yes. (laughs) Uh, They are. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, At least Jules is. is. And then we have uh, Anna Hutchinson who plays Jules Lauden or Loudon. I don't know. Um, And then we have Jesse Williams who plays Holden McRae. Yes. Yeah. And in order, that was the fool, the whore, and the scholar. Indeed. Immediately, we meet Dana and and Jules, and we get to know a little bit about them, that their friends probably have been for a while. Yeah. Um, They seem cozy with each other. Yeah. As a matter of fact, in the very first scene, we meet Dana, and she's not wearing any pants. She's not. She's in front of an open window, not wearing pants. Uh working on uh like a sketch or something looking at an old sketch of professor fuckwad yeah of i believe a is professor what that we are led to believe she had an extramarital affair with yes he was married he, he was married a young co-ed who is uh, not yet married. yeah so uh, immediately not virginal behavior not virginal behavior um, i will come back to this <laughs> okay <yes. laughs> um Immediately not very virginal. Um, We also, yeah, we have a lot of hints right from the beginning that these kids are not really perfect cutouts for their archetypes. Right. And then that does get mentioned, right? Uh, That, you know, the the, um, director, played by Sigourney Weaver, who is a treasure. I love Sigourney Weaver. Oh, he's a treasure. Um, She mentions that, you know, uh, they do the best with what they have. Yes. Right. Um, But maybe they... Uh, could have done better. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's also the reason why Marty first becomes suspicious is because he sees Kurt acting like some sort of aggro jock guy. Yeah. He's when, a sociology major. Yeah. And yeah. then Jules, who is pre-med. Pre-med, yeah. Is acting like overtly sexual, getting super drunk, yeah. super flirty, and, not her normal behavior. And Jesse Williams's character, Holden, he's new. We don't know him we very know well. Him. Um, we know that he's a friend of, of Kurt's. He's got the fastest hands on the team, whatever that means. He just transferred from state. Which oh. state? I don't know. Doesn't matter. It doesn't can. matter. He transferred from state. Um, so he's kind of new. We don't know him super well. Did the company make him transfer? Oh, wow. Maybe. Did he even I, transfer? <laughs> I think one of the really interesting aspects of this film is the idea of free will. Yeah. And like uh, that's something that they that they mention uh Bradley Whitford's character yeah. the the actors Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford playing uh Citizen and Hadley. Yes, our company men. Our company men. Yes, kind of o- overseeing. Yes. The the uh sacrifice or the ritual as you And will. they're most often joined by Amy Acker as our chemist. Yeah. It's your favorite. I I love Amy Acker. Yeah. She's beautiful. Okay. Um, and what'd we say? A Truman. There's also a Truman. Oh, yeah. Who is a... Okay, this was the point I was going to make. Okay. About how he's a new recruit, and they're like, this isn't the army, or whatever. Uh-huh, yeah. Like, how? Ma- I wonder how many people they actually recruit from the army, because that actually makes a lot of sense to me. You would think, yeah. Because those are the people who are used to killing for, like, a greater, you know, a greater, greater cause. And, and keeping a secret. And keeping a secret. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these people are like military or CIA backgrounds. Absolutely. But like, how do you get an intern? How do you get that intern? I, 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 these are, you know, I've, I've been, this movie's 10 years old. I've seen it. I've lost count of how many times I've seen it. And this is what really gives it for me really good staying power. Yeah. Um, so I think honestly, uh, you know, without further ado, my favorite character is Marty. 
Yes. Um, he's the fool. The The minute we're introduced to him, he's driving and, and smoking out of a gigantic bong that looks like a, a coffee travel mug. Apparently, they also had to actually construct that bong. Like, it's a real bong for the movie that they made. I love that. That can turn into, like, a non-functional coffee cup. <laughs> yeah. So oh, I've heard. I love that. And I mean, this movie has a lot of practical effects. It does. So it does have good practical that effects. That is yeah. one of them. Yes. Um, and it's interesting because Marty, when they're, they get into what appears to be like a rambler, some kind of like RV thing, to go to this cabin in the woods, um, we get a little bit of maybe foreshadowing uh-huh. of uh, Marty talking about society, man. Yeah. Society needs to crumble. That's what he says. Yeah. Yeah. And he specifically says that part of the problem is all of the surveillance and the um, technology. Yeah, microchips in our heads. Which, noticeably, is what is happening to all these children right now. <laughs> I shouldn't call them children. They're young adults. They're adults, yeah. They're adults. They're legally adults. They're like 20-somethings. They're, the, they're, they're the, early 20s. They're the what I refer to as the worst kind of adult, which is a legal adult. <laughs> um, because you have all the legal responsibility of being an adult, but you have no experience actually no. adulting. No. Yeah. Um, so Marty's my favorite character um, by far. He's hilarious. Um he is is kind of one of the ones that's the most on track kind of mm-hmm. understanding what's going on he's definitely the first one to put it all together yeah he puts it together and um, nobody else does until and no one believes him yeah maybe it's because he's f- too foolish we I don't mean, know maybe it's because he's high and paranoid also that yeah yeah um but i just wanted to mention everything about this film that makes it just such a fantastic horror film Mm-hmm. Um, it's got really great body horror. Uh, Jules, mm-hmm. when when her and Kurt are in the woods having sex before her first kill, like it's just a great shot of her getting like stabbed through the hand. Yeah. Um, amazing horror acting, like Fran Fran Krantz, like screams his head off as he's being dragged off by a zombie. You know, my favorite scene actually in terms of like the horror, it's one of the more understated ones. Sure, but there's the scene right as like right when. Dana and Marty are going through the elevators and they've seen enough monsters to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And we see them on the monitors and Marty is just holding on to Dana. Yeah. And they both look so goddamn traumatized. <laughs> I mean, it's a different kind of horror. It's the, but I just like feel that part in my body. It's of, like, good horror acting. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no matter what, no matter if these kids get out of here, like they're never leaving here. They're traumatized for life. <laughs> Exactly. It's, yeah. yeah. It's just their faces are really good in that moment. Um, and it, it it's a great horror film because it literally contains every horror. When they go downstairs, downstairs, quote unquote, downstairs, they see literally every horror. They see uh, ghosts. They see... Um, classic werewolf. Classic werewolf. Yeah. Well, ghosts. there's clowns. Yeah. Um, we the get clowns th- is the scariest one for you. Yeah. Oh, my God. I hate clowns so much. Um, the scariest one for me, of course, comes from my girl Amy Acker. I know. Of all things. I know. A giant goddamn tentacle I out know. of nowhere. Yeah. That was hard for you. I that know. That was hard yeah. for me. Um, they've got snake. Giant snake. Giant spider. Uh, zombies. Mummies. Scarecrows. Uh, something called the sugar plum fairy, which some is... Some weird racial stereotypes. Yeah. Some weird racial stereotypes because I mean, what, what's scarier than xenophobia, you know? Yeah. Um, um, so it literally, and then what does, Amy, what's her name again? Amy, Amy Acker. Amy Acker. What does Amy Acker say uh, to um, 
to the actor who plays Truman that it's not the stuff nightmares are made of. It's the stuff of which nightmares are made. No, that's that's, that's wrong. No, that's wait. the opposite of what I want. Yeah, he says this is the stuff of nightmares. nightmares. And he's, and she says... No, this is the stuff of which nightmares are made. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I think is pretty poignant. Um, yeah. So it's it's got great body horror, great horror acting, especially if you're using practical effects or special effects. You don't see... Like, the actors don't really have anything to react to they just need to act which yeah. you know is good um it has literally every horror uh, i do when- want to in terms of practical mm-hmm. effects give another shout out to the merman oh that yeah. they make and this just there's the a spout of blood yeah. that comes out of it that is all actually you know a practical effect happening <laughs> there's just like drowning in fake blood I when they it. shot that <laughs> i love it and it's it's funny because it does kind of like draw like do that really fine walk that really fine line between horror and comedy yeah which is something joss whedon is talented at yeah bringing humor into different genres um when they go downstairs the the jump scares are really good they are um i think jump scares are something that's really overused uh but i think they did a really good job and and honestly the the thing that makes a really good horror film for me is that you know at the in the end the bad guy wins yeah you know that's uh, a thing you like I do. I like when the bad guy wins. Um, I like when it's not a happy ending because to me it's a horror film. And like horror films shouldn't have a happy ending. Except for the Babadook. The Babadook has a happy ending and I appreciate that. I know nothing about the Babadook other than he's a gay icon. (laughs) I don't know how that happened. Uh, It was was a Netflix glitch. It wasn't even based on anything. And now it just stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That has a a relatively happy ending uh, and... And I think it works. But I like that, um, you know, they they don't save the world. The yeah. ancient ones are not appeased and they rise. And we are led to believe that every living thing on Earth is destroyed. Or at least in, I mean, we don't really know what the old gods are going to do when they come back. Because they used to rule over the Earth. And presumably there were people back then, too. Yeah. Otherwise, how did they make the deal and come up with the ritual to keep but them the, asleep? That last final scene is so great where we just get this out of the literal cabin in the woods. This huge, fiery hand yeah. that just comes down and like smacks onto the earth and cuts to the credits. Yeah, it's a really good last scene. Yeah, it's a really good last, last shot. scene. Um, um, and that to me is, is something that I really look for in, in the kind of horror that I most enjoy. I also want to say, to your point of them not succeeding the bad guys winning yeah technically it depends on how you look at it because the company in my mind are also kind of bad guys even though they're the ones that are trying to save the world they're also the ones who are responsible for all of the horror that we actually see because we never actually see the horror of the old gods we only see the horror that the company does that's true and in order to appease the old fails gods. and it's marty who wants to see society crumble who actually wins he does so in yeah. a way marty does win he convinces dana not to kill him that's true and, and just let just, it all burn they decide to just go down with the ship together yeah so i mean in a way it does have a they do win kind of question mark <laughs> i don't know it's that's something to point. think about yeah i also um i i noticed a couple of new things this watch that uh when jules gets stabbed in the hand mm-hmm um, it is at almost the exact halfway point of the film. So, like, that's really, like, at the almost exact halfway point is when, like, the carnage starts. Yeah. Um, which is really interesting to me. And then I also noticed, maybe tell me what you think, but um, 
the virgin or Dana, right, yes. is probably when they're are they down in the cellar again? They're somewhere and there's like a zombie above them. Oh, that's when they find the they call it the dark the black room. Yeah, the black room. Yeah, it's uh, like it's like a room adjacent to the cellar. Okay, because Kurt comes through from the cellar to get them. That's right. Um, so they're are they so they've been separated. Jules is dead at this point. We are they are led to believe that that Marty is dead as well. Um, yeah, it's just Dana and Holden together, though Kurt finds them. And then Kurt finds them. Um, and they are attacked by one of the Buckners. Matthew Buckner, I oh, believe. Oh, gosh, you're no, so good no, at this. No, or maybe Father Buckner, Pa Buckner. I couldn't tell you. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, attacked by one of the Buckners. And um, the big hulking one is Matthew Buckner. Was it the big hulking one? No, the, the big hulking one is the one who. With the bear trap. Yeah, with the bear trap. Who, so it's Pa Buckner, who, then who almost takes Dana, Dana down, down at, at the, the very end, end at so the dock. So it must be Pa Buckner then. Yeah. Um, and it, Dana takes him out, or at least incapacitates oh, him. actually that makes sense because in the diary, in Patience Buckner's diary, yeah. she says, um, Matthew told me that Pa took Judah yes. to, the black to, back room. to the black room, so I know I won't see him again. Oh. So if Pa Buckner goes after them in the black room, that's like his spot where he kills people. I see. Uh, I actually have thoughts on the Buckner, so we can circle back. Oh, good. Yeah, let's circle back. So I, I noticed that probably at about the same time in the timeline that Dana is is in. I don't, we don't, I don't know if she kills that zombie, but incapacitates that it. zombie is probably in the timeline pretty darn close to where Marty is also killing Judah Buckner. Judah Buckner. Um, so I really like that kind of juxtaposition of. Uh, pretty similarly, at the same point in the timeline, yeah. both of these archetypes are um, are killing zombies, yeah, having their first kills. Yeah, yeah. And then they they come back together and they end up kind of being our our duo uh, for yeah. the the second or for that kind of last act. Yeah, the yeah. climax. Yeah. Stuff. Um, Can I talk about the Buckners? Let's talk about the Buckners. Okay. Tell me about the Buckners. Well, for, this also ties into my thoughts about like where we actually are, where this cabin is. Like, is the cabin a real thing, or is it all a construction of the company? Right. Is Are the Buckners real people? Right. Right. See, I was thinking that the Buckners were real people. Mm -hmm. And what my question was, see, I noticed something that I'd never thought about before, okay. which is that there are five Buckners. There are? There's Ma Buckner, Pa Buckner, Matthew Buckner, Buckner. Judah Buckner, and Patience, and Patience Buckner. Buckner. You especially get a look at them in... The painting of the sacrificial lamb or whatever that they take down that's hiding the one-way mirror. Yes. That guy standing in the background who always looks creepy with yeah. the cane and the black hat. Uh -huh. I saw – it's because I saw a picture, like a promotional photo of all the Buckners as like taking a family photo okay. together. Oh, okay. And that's how Paul Buckner dresses. Oh. He's got his cane and his black hat. Oh. So that shadowy figure in the back is Pa Buckner. Paul and Buckner. then we have the four other Buckners in the front. Ma Buckner with her long um, – like hand no not a uh, saw with her long saw that okay. she uses to behead jewels oh yeah that's ma buckner okay judah buckner has his trowel sure that the he trowel goes, he goes after which marty then becomes his demise yeah the trowel yeah and yeah matthew buckner is the big hulking scary one who gets the husband bulge yeah oh, yeah oh, <laughs> gross yeah <laughs> and then there's yeah and we don't really know i mean we know about Patience Buckner because she's the one whose story we get, but she doesn't seem to actually kill anybody. No, it, it was my understanding that I think her full name is Anna Patience yeah. Buckner. Yeah. yeah, she has a first name. That she, 
her heart's not in it. No. Well, because, yeah, she doesn't get the husband point. She's not in the fa- <laughs> Thank God. Uh, she's... Her heart's not in the family business yeah. of, of murdering well, strangers. Was, so what I was thinking about was, if this is where the old god is slumbering, sure. right? Because we can sort of see that roiling fire beneath them, yes. and all of the blood is dripping down to this ancient one. If this cabin already existed, if this was the place where the Buckners decided to live, A, is that what made them start going mad because mm. of the influence? Or B, were they led there to be a sacrifice? Were they... Ooh. One of the ones that, like, because the more I thought about Patience Buckner, the more I realized she's literally the final girl of her family. She is, yeah. She's the last one we know anything about. She's the virgin. She's definitely the virgin. Yeah. All of the other Buckners get taken down or at least, like, incapacitated for a while. At the very least, we don't see them for the whole last sequence down in the... In the downstairs. Down in the downstairs, yeah. right? We never see any of them away from the cabin, hmm. except for Patience Buckner. Huh. She's also the one who, if you think of them, if you think of the director as kind of being the bad guy to all of these monsters, considering that all of these monsters are stuck in these traps. It's true. Which yes. would suck. They're as much captives as the five co-eds. Absolutely. Patience Buckner is the one who takes down the director. It's true. She, she does. She gets the final kill. That's true. She's a final girl. And she has a, a like a disability. Only one of her arms works. Yeah, her good arm got et. Her good arm got et. Her good arm got et. <laughs> like as an Eaton? I think so. Okay, just checking. Because, you know, uh, when I don't know when the Buckners are supposed to like, when their time is supposed to be. And... My understanding is early 1900s. Okay. Yeah. You have a, a much greater command of the history of the English language than me. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to defer yeah. to your pioneer judgment. Pioneer days. Yeah. Pioneer days. So. But again, I'm yeah. not really sure if like this cabin is even a real cabin or if the Buckners are even real people or if they're constructs. Right. Like how much of this has been created by the company. Right. Because the, the point is, is that you think you see all the, the monsters downstairs and it's like just you know any kind of horror movie monster you can think of werewolves vampires mm-hmm. mummies um the, Are there the vampires the goblins i mean i assume mm-hmm. yeah there's remember the there's the big vampire bat remember oh you're the right there's bats? the giant vampire bat yeah the snake the spider the like uh, these the things the weird saw buzz saw mechanical thing the the doctors oh god the doctors the dolls yeah. Uh, the Scarecrows. Jacqueline. Kevin. Kevin, who's just a serial killer? I Yeah. Kevin is definitely one I'd like to know more about. Yeah. Because he, he's on the roster when they, they're betting, the betting pool. Um, but we don't ever see him during the quote-unquote system as, purge. Yeah, yeah. As far as we know. There's, you know, some hard things to make out. So, uh, yeah, that's a really good point. Like, are these beings real? Mm-hmm. And have been collected, or are they, have they been created? Yeah. Um, and I think that the answer is both. That's actually a fair point. Yeah. Often the answer is both. Uh, often the answer is both. Yeah, I think that because, um, you know, a lot of those horrors that, you know, are reflected downstairs, right, um, reflect human anxieties, yeah. right? Like, we get the... Um, what was he? What was his name? The one who was supposed to be like a stereotypical Native American. Oh, the was he the Huron? Huron, yeah, the Huron, the Huron yeah. Um, and then you also you I mentioned. I swear there is one who looks like some sort of a thousand and one. No, wait, what is it? Tales of the Arabian Nights. Nights. Yeah, yeah, Tales of the Arabian Nights style, like 
bandits type who like throws a guy to the snake sure that's the vibe i get from him yeah so we we think about like human anxieties right getting bit by a snake is a human anxiety yeah right um uh having no control over who we become like a werewolf might you know Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. having no control over our um our like most base desires or um yeah no but like yeah i mean that's the whole point i have not seen hell hellraiser sure yeah i do not know what this pinhead fella is oh yeah he's a cenobite i know that um jamie clayton is playing in the new hellraiser jamie clayton's in it okay hot as a pinhead great i love that i don't know anything else about it yeah but isn't that the deal with the pin they're like they're cenobites yeah they're, they're they play on people's desires yes and, to and bring fears them into hell and yeah and things yeah and like that's the vibe and there are, from- are many cenobites but pinhead is the most popular yeah. i would say and also and so our razor head guy in this is a clear we have off. according to the the cabin in the woods wiki fandom page <laughs> we have a cenobite that lives downstairs what what's his name again Oh, Fornicus, Lord of Bondage and Pain. Fornicus. See, now that makes me think of fornication. Yeah, I think that's the idea. But bondage and pain. Which, I mean, can also be sexy. True, yes. Yeah, some people are into that, you know. It I'm not gives g- Matthew Buckner a husband bulge. <laughs> oh my god, you will not let the husband bulge go. <laughs> Neither will Marty, Neither so will Marty. I feel justified. Yeah, that's true. This is interesting because I am the sex ed teacher. Yeah. <laughs> and you're the one going on about the husband's bulge. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah. Right. So I, I think that's also part of what Drew Goddard and, and Joss Whedon, probably what they intended to do was to have like all of their favorite horror movie tropes absolutely. and monsters in one place, which includes yeah. Cenobites. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we want to move on to talking about um, some literary conventions sure. and devices. So this is Lit Crit Corner. With Katie. With Katie. <laughs> Uh, I mean, one of the things yeah. is that when we're talking about references, this film is full of references to other films. Yes. Fornicus is one of the main ones, a total ripoff of Hellraiser. Literally a Cenobite, yeah. But all of, like, pretty much every other monster in it, too, is a total ripoff from something else. Absolutely. I say ripoff with love, to be clear. Yeah, a um, an illusion. Well, see, that's, yes, I wrote down. Illusion is a often kind of brief, direct reference to another work within a work. Intertextuality is similar. It's another reference, but it's normally like it uses the ideology or the plot of another text as like the backbone of a new work. So like illusion would be quoting a line from the Taming of the Shrew to like give you an idea that this character is, I don't know, maybe a feminist or a sexist or, you know, say something about gender probably if it's Taming of the Shrew. Intertextuality would be more like how 10 Things I Hate About You is a modern version of the play. A modern retelling. Yeah, that updates its message and like kind of plays off its message about gender relations. Mm. And then within 10 Things I Hate About You, we have a a scene where Kat's reading The Bell Jar. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. So there's another reference. Also, also. That's an illusion. When Kat, oh, this is not relevant to. I love it. Tell (laughs) me anyway. At all. Um, In 10 Things I Hate About You, when Kat comes out of the record store and um, Patrick is waiting for her. Oh, yes. uh, She has a copy of Green Day's Insomniac in her hand. Yes. Yeah. And see, these are all things that if we get the references, tell us a lot about her character. We know she's like deep on the feminist bent yes we she wants to go to sarah lawrence yeah and so 
the interesting thing about Cabin in the Woods, and the interesting thing, I think, about the fact that it was the first horror film that you got me to go see with you. Right. That is important. Yeah. Is that it's full of references to other horror films that I did not understand. I did not know Hellraiser was a thing. Yeah. When the first time I I was saying this earlier, the first time, and actually every time I see the Razorhead Xenobite guy. He looks so sad, and he I does. get so sorry for him. He does. He's got a sadness in his eyes, I absolutely. I have no context for him or his movie, so I don't really get what reference they're trying to make. Right. I just have to make up my own. So that's kind of like the problem, the drawback with references, is that it relies on the audience getting them. Yeah. The idea with Cabin in the Woods is that it's really for horror fans. Absolutely. Yeah. And yet I wasn't a horror fan, and I really loved it, so I don't know. Well, I think it also takes a really, like, a fresh approach to horror Yes. Um, this idea of like, you know, we think about the ancient ritual. Um, I'm thinking about Stravinsky's Rite of Spring because I'm a music nerd the yes. way you're a lit nerd. Yes. Um, and this idea of of being required to make a sacrifice and like what that looks like in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Um, that these rituals are not something that uh, died off thousands of years ago. They're still incredibly relevant to our lives, and uh, and making this uh, you know ritual sacrifice to the. I think they're only ever called the ancient ones yeah. or the old gods, which yes. makes me think there's more than one. It, yeah, I assume that there's one since they have setups in all of these different countries. Yes, the- I kind of just assumed there was a different old god slumbering in each of those spots. Right, and that, but like, do those old gods like talk to each they other? Must, Are they like, only... "Hey, I've been appeased. Like, let's chill for the next year." <laughs> I'll, I'll show the blood. Don't worry about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, I got some virgin here. I got some poor. <laughs> what do you want? The fool's delicious. <laughs> um, oh, you! This fool got zombie in him. <laughs> um, um. So it's so even if you know if you're like you are coming into watching this movie for the first time with very little horror knowledge, um. It still has a lot else. It has a lot more going on. It's a very interesting story. Star-studded cast. And I mean, once again, Joss Whedon, problematic human, pretty damn good with dialogue. I mean. And besides for all of these like quick direct references and allusions to other horror movies, Mm -hmm. like with the Cenobite of Hellraiser. Yeah. We also have like the big intertextual plot point. That's the main first part of the movie first half ish which is a bunch of young got people go to a cabin in the woods and read something out of a book that they shouldn't have and summon horrible monsters which is definitely from a movie that exists and yeah evil dead evil dead yeah and it's called evil dead and i have not seen it and you have yes i've seen evil dead it's good okay. stuff yeah well maybe one day maybe one day, one day yeah. i will understand yeah. that reference well and in evil dead what they're supposed to be reading is the necronomicon which is uh, a book made up by hp lovecraft is my yes. understanding so but it's a classic horror book that comes up in so many things Right. Talk about a, a problematic fave, H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> fave? Uh, yeah. I mean, also, though, talk about old gods. Talk about the old gods. Absolutely. Yeah. Old he's, gods. Yeah. He's our guy for that. Yeah, he is. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, And then uh, not only that, but the there there is a, a, one of the, the creatures being kept downstairs uh, is uh, are some deadites, which are from Evil Dead as well. Oh. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Are those like zombies or? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. Yeah, just okay. checking. No, but then there is one more mm-hmm. reference 
that I got way too deep in because it fascinated me. Of course. Which is that at one point, Marty decides he needs to go read a book with pictures. With pictures. God bless Marty. Yes. And that book is Little Nemo in Slumberland. Nemo, your shit is topsy-turvy. <laughs> topsy-turvy. You gotta wake up. Gotta wake up. <laughs> okay. My question is, do we think Marty brought that book with him? Or was it there? It is my understanding that that book was there. Okay. That was my understanding, okay. too. This is comic strips that were being written at the turn of the century, i.e. Buckner era. Oh. And, like, it's a story about a kid who, when he's sleeping, goes into Slumberland. Of course. He's meant to be the companion of the princess of Slumberland, but often different trials get in his way, so it, like, takes him a really long time to actually get to meet her. And at each strip ends with him waking up, you know? Naturally. And I can so imagine poor little Anne Patience Buckner reading that. Yeah. You know, and wanting to escape. Yeah. In her dreams. And it's just like really, oh my God, sad. Yeah. Another thing. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about why they chose that book for this. Right. Yeah. And there are two things. One, did you know that the bar in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, is called Little Nemo's? Oh, you know what? I think I did. Yeah. Yeah. It's called Little Nemos. Oh, okay. Which Wait, makes sense. Is that the the Nightmare on Elm Street? That's the one with the 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 young people in the, uh, the like a sane asylum type. Yeah. I guess not a sane sweet yeah. asylum. I don't know. Sanitarium. Yeah, I don't whatever know. Whatever you want to yeah. call it. Yeah. And I kind of wonder if that's what got Goodard and Whedon thinking about that book was Maybe. when they were referencing other horror movies. Right, yeah. If it's more of a reference to that than to the book itself. But the other thing about this, it's actually a comic strip. It, it would run like weekly. Oh, okay, yeah. And it's known, actually, people who are into animation and comics, hmm. this is like a super famous series. Wow, Because okay. it like revolutionized how like layout. I imagine it would be one of the earlier comics yeah well yeah. and it was the first one who sort of played with how the panels were laid of out course, and would yeah. like do interesting things and he was also um responsible for some of the early like animation that happened so he's really big like he was an inspiration for walt disney and oh, wow. things yeah. like that like a lot and, of people and talked eye works and stuff yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so he's like a big deal these are this like little nemo is a big thing that i had never wow heard um, it has a lot of mef- meta references and a lot of fourth wall breaks. Oh, okay. Which seems relevant. Which also makes sense because if it's if it's mostly happening in dreams, then yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And the thing that I really found, it was kind of hard to find like actual, um, you know, panels on the internet. I was just trying to find, you know, I I read a few of them. I didn't. I'm not a super expert on it, of though. Yeah. But I did find out that he has Little Nemo. He has a friend who was a clown named Flip. Okay. Who is a bit of an Irish stereotype. Uh-oh. He's like green and smokes a cigar. Uh-huh, and like yeah. a weird. But he sometimes wear a hat, wears a hat that says, wake up. Oh. And he's a clown, i.e. a fool. A fool, yes. AKA, it's Marty. It's Marty. It's Marty. Like he's he Telling tells, everyone else to wake yeah, up. He tells Nemo to wake yeah. up because his world is topsy-turvy. Yeah. And this is right after the previous scene where he's trying to get Dana to like wake up. To what's going on and how everybody's acting out of character. Right. Well, and also what I'm glad you brought this up because we we see through Marty's perspective. Let me refer to my notes here. Um, that he is several times hearing voices. Yes. Uh, which made me kind of think about how are we defining a fool? Like, are we thinking about a clown like someone funny 
are we thinking about someone who we would now consider to have a learning disability? Right. Um, are we thinking about somebody who has like a mental illness and maybe is hearing disembodied voices? Um, but he's hearing voices, which I think is part of him not being fully uh brainwashed i don't right because they taught the chem department amy acker talks about how they yeah. realized he had one secret stash of weed which somehow inoculated him to a bunch of the other chemicals they were putting in him so that's part of why he can hear the voices and isn't fully manipulated right because he's not he hasn't been drugged in the same way yeah. that that jules has in her hair dye yeah. yeah somehow his other drugs counteracted their drugs or maybe they laced some of his drugs but he had another stash yeah uh that they were not counting on him yeah. deciding to take for yeah. their cabin in the woods trip <laughs> you potheads you always just have other stashes somewhere <laughs> uh i mean yeah <laughs> i mean you can also though talking about like what fool means right um you could also think about like the classic shakespearean fool whose Tell me point more. or like the role that a jester played in a court. Oh. They're the one person who's meant to actually speak the truth. Right. And can speak the truth to, like, the king without getting murdered. Yeah. Because they're going to do it in, like, a chill, funny, easy way. And they're just a fool. What do they really yeah. know? But sometimes Absolutely. they're the only person. Like, they, he, the fool is, like, the person who can really talk through to King Lear in King Lear, you know? Like, the fool is actually kind of a smart character in certain ways. Right. Um, do you want to get into archetypes now or do you have we one are more already thing? talking about fools so we are and let's I have get into let's get into archetypes. it so can, let's stick with the fool for a second because I noticed something I noticed the first time this last watch is that the fool is the only of these four archetypes that has a, a tarot card associated with it Ooh, tarot uh, yeah um so uh, remind me when uh, the fool comes up in tarot let's say uh right side up not yeah. reversed what does the fool mean? The fool, it's the first one in the Major Arcana, the first card he's of He's number deck. one, isn't he? Okay, I think he's number zero. Oh, of course, yes. Yeah. And so yeah. he represents a new beginning, the beginning of a journey. Right. He represents taking off a little bit like naivete because you haven't really started the journey yet. You don't necessarily know You have no coming. idea what you're in for. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, because we get the classic image of this fool striding forward with a little dog at With his feet, dog, yeah. Looking a little bit like he's about to walk off the edge of a cliff. Right. <laughs> but who knows? Who Even knows? Who yeah. knows what he's doing? And the whole idea is that the whole major arcana is supposed to be about the fool's journey. Wow. 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 <laughs> is this entire movie just about Marty? Yes, I would argue yes. I would argue yes as well because he's my favorite character. Right. Um, See, I'm not as biased. Jules is my favorite. Oh, okay. I can't wait to talk about that. The other point that they bring up in the film about the fool, mm -hmm. I don't know if they say it explicitly, but it's clear in the, the little drawing of the archetype that fills with blood. He's holding a like a wine glass or it actually kind of looks like a martini glass. But like, I think that's an, another aspect of the fool is intoxication. But if I think about yeah. the time of the ancient ones, sure, indigenous societies, there's been a lot of history of like using different types of intoxicants, absolutely, to like go on, go on a trip, man, to go on quests of yeah. like knowledge yeah. and self learning and stuff. Yeah, that the fool, rather than being like a comical stupid character, is actually often like the wisest and like the most spiritually oriented character. Absolutely. Which and I think is that's why it's a little weird to make him just like a pothead. Like that's not the same thing. Right. Well, and it's interesting because he is the only one 
using marijuana. However, everyone else is consuming alcohol. They get drunk. They get drunk, right? And Jules and Kurt especially get, get really wasted. drunk. And to the point that Dana even asked Jules if she needs to lie down. Right. Like she's noticeably drunk. Yeah. And that this is unusual behavior for her friend, right? Yeah. But like, you know, uh, Marty's just, he's getting high. He's figuring stuff out. He's the only one making any sense. He's the one who says, yeah. all right, I'm drawing a line in the fucking sand. Don't read the Latin. Yeah. Um, he's but the one... do they listen to him? No. No, ma'am. No. No. Because he's the funny fool. He's easy to ignore. I identify with that. Yeah. I, I just really like the fool. I do think in terms of archetypes, if we got stuck in a horrible cabin in the woods, right. you would be the fool. I would hope so. Um, I'd be the virgin, let's be real. You would be the virgin. Uh, however, this is, you know, if we're talking about archetypes now, this is something that um, frustrates me greatly, mm -hmm. is that, but however, is not surprising to me at all, that when the director, Sigourney Weaver's character, is kind of setting it up for us and telling us about the five archetypes and um, we see the like the symbol of those archetypes with or without blood in them because that's who needs to be sacrificed. Mm -hmm. um, there are, of course, only two roles for women, yeah. and that is the virgin and the whore. And yes. it's like, wow, how original, you know? <laughs> how original. So we have two two women yeah. in uh, in in this cast, two female characters. So therefore, one of them has to be the virgin, and one of them has to be the whore. Yes. Um. So whenever I see a group of five mm -hmm. people or beings, yeah. um, I immediately think of the archetypes. And if there are two women, then I find myself being like, okay, well, one of them is the virgin. One of them is the whore. Yeah. Um, see, I have thoughts about that. Right. I don't know if I want to get into them. I wonder. Because they're part of a very large rant that I have. Though I do think about. <laughs> about. Uh, that a male character could be a virgin, mm -hmm. but I just don't see how a male character could be a whore because okay. being a whore is yes. something very specific to female sexuality. It is though. I also have thoughts if I'm again, going back to like older pagan societies, sure. I can also see the whore has been the idea of a whore sure. has been different. In different times. Right now, we're looking at the virgin and the whore from this very, like, Christian purity culture. But if I right. go back to, like, Gilgamesh, who helps turn Enkido into, like, a man, who civilizes Enkido, is this spiritual whore woman. Mm. This spiritual sex worker. She sleeps with him for, like, multiple days. <laughs> and that's how he becomes civilized. That sounds exhausting. I know, That right? sounds exhausting. Girl is like, <laughs> she's doing her job. Sex work is work, man. Sex work is work. <laughs> and none is working more than her. I wish I could remember her name right now. But, like, like, whore, like the idea of sex work in, in different cultures could be, like, this really high priestess type role. Yeah. Just, like, fools could be this really, like, high spiritual role. Mm -hmm. But since we're looking at now all through this Christian purity lens... The right. whore is like the worst one. It needs to be punished first. Needs to be killed first. Yes, she has transgressed. Suffer. Yes, um, and I, the virgin needs to be saved for last. I'm also she's special and good. She's special and good, and could possibly be saved and could right. possibly live uh, as fate decides. Yeah, which is so Christian. Why do the old gods want this Christian shit? Do they, or is this just the company misinterpreting stuff? Right, because I actually did make a little note about that. Is that the system? of this company seems so deeply ingrained mm 
Yeah. Right. It's like probably a system that's thousands of years old at this point. Yeah. And yet it's just run by regular people who right. who make mistakes. Yeah. And they even like even the language they have about how they need to transgress by right. choosing their death. That's talked about a transgression that needs to be punished, even though they're led up to it. So it's not really a transgression that they're doing. It's something that's constructed. And also, like, do the old gods actually care? Or is this just what the workers at the company care about? Because then they're less responsible for murdering people every year. Well, the old gods are do seem to be interested in sexy times. So they say, yeah. Because when... They want to show. Uh, yeah, they want to show uh, as Kurt and Jules are having sex in the woods. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there's, like, some rumblings downstairs, yeah. right? And it's just like, you know, it's like very important that they get the boob shot. Yeah. Right. Which. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> it's fine. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I just sort of go to like how much of this is what the old gods want. How much of it is the company thinking this is what the old god wants because of their interpretation of what these archetypes are. But this isn't actually what the old gods think of these archetypes as. Because our idea of virginity has changed so much over time. We've been talking about how the fool is something that can be classified in different ways. Right. You know, being an athlete today is so different than just being an athlete. God, back in like pioneer days, what even was an athlete? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Just the guy who was farming the most. If you you ever watch like footage from old Olympics. Oh, yeah. And you see like, I, I mean, you know, no shade. Like, you know, you, you see these old, like, older gym, gym, gymnasts mm-hmm. from, you see these older gymnasts from, you know, like, the the 1960 Olympics, and their gold medal routine is just, like, a backflip yeah. and, like, a twist, <laughs> yeah. and they land on their feet, hopefully, you know? Yeah. And, like, and now you see what, what a, 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 an Olympic Miles athlete is, do. is capable of. Yeah. And it's just, it's not even the same, right? And mm-hmm. and part of that is because of the, you know, our ability to spend more time on yeah. things like that. But, yeah, and this leads us into the fact that we we think that they're archetyped incorrectly. They're in, I have. Just, which inevitably leads uh, to what we, I can only assume is the end of the world. Yeah. So my uh, peek behind the curtain okay. is that I set up my fan theory, my personal theory about this movie. As if I was writing a literary analysis right. of this film. Yep. So my first starting observation was that the five main characters noticeably do not match their chosen archetypes. From the beginning. From the beginning. Yeah. Marty explicitly brings it up. Yeah. The director says we work with what we have. Right. You know, Dana explicitly says she's not a virgin. Right. Like, we know that they do not fit their archetypes. Yeah. We also know that the company fails the ritual that is based on these archetypes. The sure. ritual does not work. And the old gods do not stay asleep. No. So my thesis, essentially, is that the reason the ritual fails is because the main characters were incorrectly chosen to represent the five archetypes. Yeah. And my, like, so what? Why does that matter for that? Is that... Well, the the world's on the line. Well, yeah. But also, like, in the sense of, like, the movie industry and this company and the movie industry Mm -hmm. has become, like, too focused on the surface details of, like, these common themes or common Mm -hmm. archetypes and fail to actually look at the true essence of what they are and what makes them compelling. And I'm going to talk on that more, but that's just sort of where we're going. So let's just first look at why these archetypes are so wrong. Right. Let's start with, with Kurt, the athlete. You have a lot of feelings. about. I do. I, that was most of my notes was about Kurt. Cool. Let's talk about Kurt and why he is not the athlete. No, he's not. And what maybe he should be instead. Right. 
so I, I just wrote down some notes. I wrote that uh, at the kind of once they get to the the cabin and they're swimming in the lake. Yes. Um, he calls himself a gorgeous man. He does. Uh, I which, love that part. I don't know. Which is hilarious. Um, not scholarly. Not foolish. Not virginal. Maybe a little hoary. Yeah, I, I don't know. know. I mean, he is a very gorgeous uh, man. So it's interesting, though, because when we first meet him, he is talking to Dana about her her classes. Yeah. And he's he's a sociology major. He is noticeably a sociology member. Sociology major yes. with a full academic scholarship. Full academic scholarship. Um, he's one of only two people whose majors we even know. It's him true. And Jules, who is pre-med. Who's pre-med, yeah. Um, but at a certain point, once they get to the the cabin in the woods, he starts wearing a letterman's jacket. Yeah. Which is, I think, part of the like I the the company trying to take a person and mold them into whatever archetype they need them to serve. Yeah. I mean, supposedly he is on a team because that's supposedly how he knows Holden. Yes. But we also know that he isn't the one with the fastest hands on the team because that's Holden. Because that's Holden. So yeah. why is he the athlete if he's not even the best one? Oh, but he does also mention that um, when they are trying to get out, mm-hmm. we uh, Jules is dead. It's at this point that, again, they think Marty is dead. Yes. Um, that they try to jump yes. the gorge, canyon, I don't know what you call it, right? Yeah. And um, this is where he tries to fit into his archetype of I see where you're going I can make this jump and then they also he also mentions they're like do we have any climbing gear and he says yes in my dorm yeah so he could be the athlete right he is apparently athletically inclined Mm -hmm. he is playing at least one sport he has a letterman's jacket for something yeah I don't know Um, maybe just for fashion though I don't know yeah So he he does some have some you know athlete tendencies, yes. but I still don't think it's it's right for him. Um, but and also we we meet him and he does something scholarly and athletic. The minute we meet him, mm-hmm. he's talking about Soviet economic structures with Dana. Yep. Um, and then he throws the football out the window, which Holden catches downstairs. Mm-hmm. So immediately we see him doing something athletic and something scholarly. And we already mentioned this a little bit when we meet Dana. She is doing unvirginal things yes. she's in her underwear which like don't get me wrong no one likes to wear pants but what that made me think of is that they the old gods explicitly like the whore to put on a show oh yeah yeah but who does that it's her it's in her. that first scene and then also later for holden without knowing it in front of that two-way mirror that's true although Credit where it's due to Holden, yeah, for being a little bit of a whore, for oh, knowing that that two-way yes. there, knowing that Dana has not had time to put that gross picture back or, up, or or nor would she probably want to because it's right very unsettling. He, she has not had time. He immediately goes into that room right in front of Takes that two-way mirror and then starts to take off his pants. Oh yeah, that's like, right, whore Holden. Come I on, say buddy. lovingly, yes, Holden. <laughs> Okay, so we're saying that Kurt is not necessarily an athlete. He could be an athlete or a scholar. I think he has major scholar vibes. He's the yeah. only one we know who has a full academic That's scholarship. That's true. Yeah. He's not at school with like a sports scholarship. No, it's academic. And he's not the one with the best hands on the team. That is Holden. Yeah. And sure, we see Kurt throwing a football. Yeah. But it's like 
he's throwing it at the girls and he doesn't get it to them and it goes through the window it's holden who actually catches Ca- the who catches it yeah holden's the athlete to me. and avoids getting hit by a car at the same time yes yeah and why do we have that holden even is the scholar what does he do that scholarly Basically, he wears glasses he puts glasses on about halfway through the film which does he need them and who knows he also again to that that jump scene where they're yeah. trying to get to the other side of the again yeah. canyon gorge whatever, whatever you want to call, call it. it he he says you got about a five foot differential on oh, both sides does. which is such a dumb way to say it though also could be a athlete way to talk about it oh i have no idea because he's the one who would actually be thinking about like the practical what you need to do to accomplish this task right my feeling with holden is actually that he's a very action forward kind of guy the one thing he does that scholarly actually to me is that he knows latin he does know latin because he remembers it from a class he took in 10th grade which is not scholarly to me. No. That just means he went to a rich private school. That is what that, that means. That just means yeah. he comes from money. Yeah. <laughs> That's not scholarly. I'm sorry, baby. <laughs> um, but no, he's when when um when they go to the gas station. Yes. He's the first one to go inside and see what's going on. About getting gas. Yeah. Yeah. He's the one who really confronts the harbinger first. Yeah. When Dana is alone in the cellar and screams, Holden is the one who goes rushing in. Oh. He's the action guy. He is the action He's, guy. Yeah. I think, so I think they got Holden and Kurt my mixed own, up. I have a couple of things about, about Holden's character. Is that he dies by um, being stabbed through his brain. Yeah. Uh, is it the brain or is it the mouth? It's it, Well, it's both because it's like a hook. Oh. Right? And so it kind of like gets him through the brain and then comes out of his mouth. Yeah. Really, again, great, yeah, great horror. That is, um, I do believe that that is Papa Buckner, by the way. Okay. I think. And then he gets stuck down in the water. And that's the last we see of Papa. Poor pa Buckner. Pa Buckner. Um, also, I was thinking about, because when I think of the word scholar, mm-hmm. I think of, uh, is it from something? A gentleman and a scholar? Yeah. And he is, I think, the most gentlemanly. Holden? Yes. Um, Interesting. He's, I would disagree, but continue. Oh, okay. I think he's 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 very respectful of Dana's boundaries. Like when they start to make out, that's true. And he's like, nothing you don't want, you know. Yeah. Um. Uh, that he is sort of more action focused. That he's like, I will take care of it. You know, yeah. I am. You know, whatever. Um. So I was thinking about that, like, oh, you know, because there's that saying, oh, you're you're a gentleman and a scholar, mm-hmm. right? Um. And I was like, so is he supposed to be the scholar and, like, also gentlemanly that way? Yeah. I don't know. That one's kind of one just, of my thinner arguments. Yeah, I'm not gonna I lie. mean, maybe that's just who he is naturally. See, my yeah. feeling with, um, in terms of respecting Dana's boundaries, the man spends way too long watching Dana through that one, two-way mirror before, he, one-way mirror before he says something. He thinks about it, for sure. For, I'm sorry. To, the moment, oh, the moment he notices her and then has that second, you know, that second of having like a jump scare like, oh and boy. then like, oh, that's what's going on. Yeah. He then sort of watches her dreamily as she like checks her teeth for spinach or whatever she does first. And then she starts to undo her top. Yeah. And he continues to watch and he's like, no, I can't watch. Yeah. And he's he like, oh, this is happening. More. That he is, he has a decision to make. Yeah. What kind of person is he going to be and right now? he says now? himself, he actually tells her that he had an internal debate about course, it yeah. arguing on both sides blood everywhere like i don't know dude fair enough a little bit much for me a that, little bit much i he wonder it's the right choice in the end and he does give fair play by immediately undressing himself so right? i respect it's that only fair um 
I also, I just wonder if maybe my, because he's a man, that, like, my my standards are just low. Oh. And that, like, he, he reached the right decision eventually. Like, therefore, it's a win, right? I, yeah. That rather than, like, reaching the right decision of, of not being a creepy peeping Tom. Yeah. Uh, with a two-way mirror that he didn't know existed until right. just then. That's true. Right. He could have just left it, and he didn't. So he does make the right choice in the end. And they switch rooms. And they do, so, which is the right call. Yeah. So, so he does, yeah, I'm not, like, bashing Holden. I think he's great, and I like him. He's all right. But, um, <laughs> no, I specifically like him because he immediately addresses I just, I just feel like he's <laughs> oh the one God. we get to know the least. He is, because yeah. he's the one that the rest of the characters know the least. I'm not even sure if Kurt knows him. I'm not sure if I believe that he's actually on the same team, <laughs> or that's not just the company manipulating that's that. That's true. I mean, they made up a whole cousin for Kurt. Why not a teammate? That's true, and we don't even get that until like the very last scene in the yeah. movie, where he's like, "I don't know if Kurt has a cousin." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Well, we probably should ask Kurt when he was still alive." We should have. Oh yeah. well. Yeah. No. So I don't know. I think my theory is that they have Holden and Kurt mixed, mixed up. Mixed up. Absolutely. But, I mean, the thing with getting these people into archetypes is that we're all human beings and we all contain multitudes. We do contain multitudes. Yes. Um. So, you know, we contradict ourselves. Um, absolutely. Lots of things. Um. So it's hard to say exactly, but definitely better choices can be made. There's literally no reason why Holden should have been made the scholar. Oh, but one last thing I wanted to bring up about Holden. Okay. Only character of color. In the five. He is the only character And of perhaps color. making the black guy the athlete. Oh, a little heavy handed. A little bit on the, yeah. A little on the nose. Making it the scholar instead. A little stereotypical. As like, yeah. So That's I don't know. Point. The rest of them are just whitey, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, and I, I mean, I really think Marty is the only properly archetyped. I disagree. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Should we talk about Dana first? I think that, uh, that Kristen Connolly's character, Dana, uh, is archetyped as the virgin and should not be. I think she should be the whore. I agree with that. And that Anna Hutchinson's character, Jules, mm-hmm. uh, is not the whore, but probably more like a virgin. Okay. See, that's one where I disagree. But let's talk about Dana first. And then and then that leaves for me, Marty, yeah. as the fool. He, yeah. he is the fool. Yeah. But you, you disagree. I want to hear your thoughts. Well, I want to establish what we do agree on first, which is Dana as the whore. Absolutely. My yeah. main thing for that actually is how she puts on a show. Whether or not she's doing it intentionally, right. she's in front of that open window. window. We not get a wearing shot. Pants. Yeah. And we get that shot later of her unknowingly putting on a show again for Holden. Right. How does she do it? She's unbuttoning her shirt, okay. which is exactly what they have Jules do. That's when true. When she's being the whore and putting on the show. It's an exact match. We also have Holden making a joke about how like Jules and Kurt traded Dana to him in marriage, right? Which is like, it's a joke. It's the closest reference we get to, like, actual, like, sex work or, like, domestic, you know, like, domestic work, like, right. the sex trait, you know, yeah. how the woman's role is, like, you know, she is explicitly there to hook up with Holden. Holden's is explicitly there to hook up with her. I was going to say, yeah. He also might be, you know, um, this is a side one. Sure. But Marty calls her a saucy minx. Yes. <laughs> She's called a saucy minx, which is just really fun. Is, is she, does he say saucy or fetching? Oh, he says something else is fetching later. He says... He, he calls you her fetching a, minx. Yeah, he might call somebody maybe, a minx. But yeah. definitely a minx, which is like, to me, that's like a traditional, like, n- nickname for somebody who's like sexual. And F- <laughs> did you know that minx is my dad's nickname for my mom? I did. I forgot about yeah. that. I forgot about that. <laughs> but you know, somebody who's like minxy is like sexy. A vixen. A would vixen. Be yeah, one, absolutely. You know? um, the other thing 
comparing her to Jules, which I think is where you come in with the virgin whore, how they should yes. be switched. Yeah. What do we know about Dana and Jules's respective sex lives? Absolutely. We know that, well, we don't know that Jules and Kurt are in a monogamous relationship, but they are in a long-term yeah. committed relationship. Yeah. They um, seem to be in love. They I don't know if they explicitly love. say it, but they are very loving with each other. Yeah. And joking and just seem to have a really happy, good relationship. And again, Dana is we understand that she has just gotten herself out of a relationship with her one of her professors. One of her professors who, who is married. We understand is married. And who broke up with her over email. I have a lot of angry words with this professor. I think he is a piece of shit. Absolutely. So, uh, like, yeah. I don't want to, like, slut shame Dana. No. Because I don't think that she was at fault for any of this. No. That she that she was taken advantage of by her professor. That, he that, was in the position of power. Yeah, that 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 professor has significantly more power over yeah. her. Absolutely. But again, like if we're looking at it from these like puritanical yeah. Christian ideas, she's a, a very whorish behavior. She's a home wrecker. Yeah. And she's yeah, getting in the way of education, <laughs> you know? Like we don't even know what her major is either. The only thing we know about her is that she's pretty good at art, assuming that she drew that sketch of her professor. She is a talented artist, yeah. I wonder if she's an art major. Well, and she also seems to be taking a lot of the same classes that Kurt I know, so she might also taken, be into... So she might be something in sociology. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. I wonder what Marty's major is. I know, right? I'm like, is he just a philosophy major? Right. He would be. Right. Is he pre-law? <laughs> pre-law. Is he like... Uh, like gender studies yeah. i don't know is he one of those guys who is like well his parents are paying for college so he needs to be like business major but he's taking a minor of in course yeah music theory or something you know that he actually likes yeah something that actually speaks to him dance um so then your okay. your argument is that jules is our would virgin be our then. virgin because again with the way that these archetypes are set up in a very puritanical mm -hmm. christian way yeah. Uh, the whore and the virgin are roles designated for women. Yeah. And if Dana is the whore, well, then that really only leaves one option for Jules. Right. Yeah. I also, I listened a while ago to this other podcast that just brought out for the theory that um, the reason they chose Dana as the virgin is because she's done everything but. Uh, uh, like she just hasn't done piv sex and that's why she's the virgin. so she's like i'm not really a virgin you know she's and like that's what sigourney means when she says you know we work with what we have what we have that she's just hasn't had vaginal intercourse yeah well again as a sex ed teacher uh i call bullshit i call bullshit yeah and yeah. also what kind of sex do jules and kurt have when we actually see them together engaging in horse behavior only oral sex they don't get around to in a course we don't really get to see we it is it is assumed that that he performs oral sex on her but we don't see them have actual sex no it doesn't quite get to that point yeah. before. i mean assumedly they were getting to that point yeah but i don't know what they're into i don't know what they're into yeah. yeah um i also this is also a side point but i do find it slightly interesting that like she doesn't even get to have one last orgasm I know. they kill her right when she's I starting know. to enjoy herself oh my god okay I do have Poor actually Jules. a point that kind of goes to your idea of her being a virgin. Jules being the virgin. Yeah. Sure. Which to me just sort of more goes to her not being the whore. Right. Which right. is that um, like even her big sexy scene where she makes out with that wolf. Yeah. 
that she, whatever that mysterious beast is. Yeah, she plays it like a comedy. She, does, she walks yeah. up to it all slow and is like, "Oh, who me? Yeah. Oh, thanks, I just got it done." Uh-huh. Like, "Oh, don't have it," but like she's doing it as a comedy. Yes, and everybody is laughing along. Yeah, until she starts to make out with it, and then everybody gets very like stone faced. Like that is not her usual behavior. Right, right, right. She's like clearly making a joke of things. And we also, we are, we are led to believe in the opening scene that she has just dyed her hair blonde. Yeah. Because that's how we can differentiate a whore from a virgin is. Blonde hair. Blonde hair. (laughs) Represent the blondies in the house. (laughs) I.e. me. (laughs) Um, But no. Especially like a bleach blonde. Not, yeah. yeah, Yeah, I'm only half bleach blonde right now, so I'm fine. I mean, your hair's orange right now. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> More of a salmon, whatever you want to call it. Um, artificial, though, which is another horse. Exactly. Thing. Artificial, like bleach blonde. Like, yeah. that is not a, a color blonde anyone's hair actually is. And yeah. maybe some people. It's the sweets. But no, so it's that. It's her making out with the wolf and then dancing sexy yes. in front of the window. Putting on a show very similar to Dana. And they're confused because this they're, is unusual behavior. Yeah. yeah. Marty even says, I've seen her drunk. This isn't how she acts when she's drunk. Yeah. And then Jules goes over and flirts with him. And it's right after that and right after they go outside. Yeah. That Marty says, we are not who we are. Yeah. That this is not normal behavior. Yeah. And then when she goes outside, she does not want to have sex in the woods. She says no three times. Which is a very symbolic number to say no. Have you? I've never noticed it before. I never noticed that no, either. Yeah. At wow. first, she just says that she, they should go inside. And Kurt's like, nah, nah, it's romantic out here. We're all alone. It's great. Then she says she's cold. Yeah. Which is why the company makes it warmer. Warmer, yeah. And then they even send out the pheromone mist. Right. And she still says one more time, okay, this has been fun, you know, basically. But let's go back inside. Go inside. Before she's convinced by Kurt, like, okay, okay. we're making out. This is pretty sexy. She refuses it three times. Wow. That is, yeah, that's like the opposite of horror behavior. Right. So, yeah, I get the reading how she actually could be the virgin if we see the virgin as somebody who's in, like, a committed monogamous relationship. yeah. Which is more so than Dana. But, no, go. And also, she does almost pick the bride. She almost picks the bride. She almost puts the necklace on, which is, you know, a white dress, which is, of course, a, you know. Symbolically pure. Yeah. Symbol of virginity. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. I never thought about that. So, yeah, I think there is an argument to be make, made for her to be the virgin. But my deal with Jules, see, I think the problem, part of the reason why they failed is because they're sexist well, by yeah. thinking that it has to be that way. Right. It does. I mean, do the old gods fucking care about, like, if we're going back to, I don't know, a lot of indigenous American cultures didn't think about gender in the same way. How did two-spirit people fit into this? Right. You know? So they're getting stuck on our modern ideas of gender and our modern ideas of purity. And that's why they fuck up the archetypes. From like a a Western European perspective. They need to fit Dana and Jules in there. Yeah. Jules, when we meet her, the first thing she does is make a thousand jokes. She spends her whole time joking. It's true. Like almost every word out of her mouth is some sort of joke or some attempt to like make the other characters happy and have a fun weekend. That's her goal there. That's true. She's the entertainment party. Yeah. She's the fool to me. Oh. She's the fool. I mean, the way that she approaches the wolf. Yes. It's a big old joke. It's, it's a big a old show. Like, yeah. it's a comedy show. She's my fool. That's why I love her. Oh, she kind of, yes. So then, then who is the virgin then? Marty. Is it Marty? Is it because he's the only one who doesn't have a, a partner? 
the first time we see him, he is the only one not in a heteronormative couple. Right. Right. And not only that, but like the two women do seem to kind of see him, him as like harmless. Uh, as, like, yes. Just a fr- like he can get away with calling Dana a, a fetching minx or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, and like just sort of general hashtag asexual Marty writes of like, um, when they find that window, the two-way mirror, yes, the one-way mirror, whatever it's called, yeah. When they find that one-way mirror, Kurt's like, "Oh, you know, Marty wants to watch us pounding away," and Marty's like, "I don't even want to hear, hear that. that. Yeah. I don't want anything to do with that." Yeah. When they go out to go swimming, he's the only one who's not dressed in a bathing suit and doesn't get into the water. That's like true. he's the one actively not engaging in all the like sexually tinged of fun course, times of the weekend for, for the youths. If this yeah. was like a fun getaway weekend that was meant to be sexy for yeah. these two couples. Yeah. Marty's the outlier. Yeah. Um, he seems to be the one who's like the most actively uncomfortable when Jules gets really overtly sexual. Yeah. He like, gets very bashful when Jules flirts with him and says that they used to, you know, be, we made out once. Yeah. He, <laughs> the only thing that we know he has ever done is made out once with Jules. Right. He very well could be a literal virgin. And the I feel like part of the opening scene with Dana choosing to bring books and then Jules saying, no, you got to bring a bikini instead. It's oh, yeah. supposed to make us think like, oh, yeah, Dana's our virgin who wants to read the whole time. Yeah, and yeah, Jules yeah. is our whore with the bikini. Wanting to but, like, g- pack a bikini so that she can get out of it. But like yeah. when we actually get there, who steps away to read? It's oh, Marty. It's my, a, a book with pictures. And not only at any moment. But it's right after Kurt and Jules go to go have sex in the woods and right before Holden and Dana start making out. So it's at that explicit sexy moment where Marty removes himself from the situation. Well, uh, fair enough. Because, like, what else is he going to do? Yeah. Because he's our virgin. Because he's the virgin. And that's why I agree with you that this movie is all about Marty. Because he's the final girl. Because he is the final girl. Um, I love when we have a male final girl. Yeah. I'm thinking of of the second Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. Good fucking movie. Yeah. No, and I want to talk about how wrong they are about thinking that it needs to be Jules and Dana as the virgin and whore. Right. Because I think their problem is, whether it's the movie itself or the company, I don't want to say which. Okay. Jules and Dana are mirrored with each other in really interesting ways. As mm. if they're interchangeable. Right. Well, they're the two women. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, very very early on, Marty says that society needs to crumble. He has that rant. Yes. And he tells Jules, you'll see it my way in the end. Yes. Who actually sees it his way in the end? Oh, Dana, Dana. does. Yeah. She's the one who sees, who sees it to the end with him. Yeah. yeah. Um, And then we have that turning point for Jules where she makes out with the wolf. After that is when she starts to behave whorishly. Yes, of course. The first shot we get of her is dancing in front of a window. Very reminiscent to the actual first shot we have of Dana in her underwear in front of the window. Right. That's kind of extra interesting to me because that's Dana without being manipulated and it's Jules with manipulation. And then another mirror that I feel like happens is she makes out with the wolf. The first monster they see in the elevator, it's Dana getting slowly walking towards the werewolf's face. The werewolf's face. It's like the violent version of the play that Jules puts on. So Dana is seeing the werewolf. However, I think Marty is turned around and he's looking at something else. I think. Or do they both see the werewolf first? She's just the one who gets close to it. Because then it's later when he's looking at the sugar plum while she's looking at Fornicus. Yeah, and then he turns around and sees Fornicus. He's like, oh, God. Yeah, and that's that's when Dana realizes that they had to choose. They They made us choose. Yes. So, I mean, that just has a really sexist implication to me about how they... How these women are basically mirroring each other all over the place. Wait, Katie, you're telling me that there's sexism in our media? (laughs) 
this the the patriarchy <laughs> all the, along? It was the patriarchy all along. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know whether it's intentional on the part and is like a slam against the company or if it's a sexism inherent right. in the writing. I don't know which. Or both. Why or not both? both? I mean, ambos? the other thing I was thinking about is the opening scene and like why that's our opening scene. Do you remember the opening scene? In the company, it starts with Bradley oh, Whit- that's true. That is that's who we meet first. Yeah, that's right. And they are uh, what is it? Bradley Whitford's character. It's Citizen and Hadley. Citizen and Hadley. They're talking about just normal, boring shit. They're specifically talking about how Hadley's wife is maybe going to get pregnant, and yeah. so she's been baby proofing the house already. And he says it's hormonal. And Citizen says you're weird about women. And Hadley says. Oh, you're one to say that. You're weird. Like, they accuse each other of being weird uh, about being women. weird about women. And I think they are weird about women. Yeah. Because they're so hung up on these gender roles of, like, the ger- the virgin and the whore yeah. are Have women. to be women. Yeah. Which means that they're basically interchangeable. As long as they're women, they've done their role. They've worked with what they did. Yeah. And that's wrong. That's why they fail. Because they get hung mm. up on, like, the surface of, like, what these roles should look like. And don't actually think of what they are and totally miss the fact that, like, Marty probably is actually a virgin. Might be a virgin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we have huge, uh, you know, a huge difference in the way we feel about female virginity versus male virginity. Right. right? Male virginity is something to be gotten rid of. Yes. At like your earliest convenience. Right. Whereas female virginity is something to be like coveted and held on to and like that's what gives you worth mm-hmm. as a human, as a woman. Yeah. Is is continuing to be a virgin. So which also in, you know, obviously we think about our defining virgin as someone who's never had sex before particularly vaginal penetrative sex. Right, yeah. But also, like, virgin just means someone young. Mm-hmm. And they're all young. Yeah. You know? That, yeah, I mean, maybe that's part of what they get wrong. The director says it's all about youth. Like, youth is the main part. Right. Maybe that's really the only thing that mattered. Is that they're, they're young. Yeah, and that they got so hung up on all these other parts. Right. Which means that immediately they've fucked it up from the beginning because the whore has to die first. Mm-hmm. And that would, by our theory, be Dana. And if Dana died first, that would have changed a lot of things. It would have changed a lot of things. And if Marty, if it was okay if Marty lived or not, that also would have changed a lot of things. Because Marty does live. Marty, well, yeah, Marty does live. And it doesn't matter because the whore has to die first. They make that point very clear. Mm -hmm. So if someone else besides Dana dies first, they're they're already doomed. Yeah. Actually, you're right. They were doomed from the beginning by thinking that... Jules was their whore when she clearly wasn't. When she wasn't. Um, I also think it's interesting that Marty, at least until the very end when Dana gets on board, mm-hmm. Marty is the only one who actually is like, society does need a crumble. Right. He's the only one who like actively would be against the idea of sacrificing for the greater good or yeah. whatever. He's the, one who, he's the one who actively would be like, no, that's bullshit. Right. And so then- he's going to be so hard to kill because he's never going to be able to like – I don't know, accept any of the other ones dying or, like, sacrifice himself, kill himself at the end, you know? He's going to want to let the whole world go down with him. Right. Which, to me, is something very foolish to... I mean, I think that's a matter of perspective. Uh, yeah. Well, to me, yeah. Um, that, that <laughs> that's is what that means. Because, you know, because he says, oh, society needs to crumble. We're just too chicken shit to let it. But... Th- 
the idea of letting society crumble and not thinking any farther of the implications of what this means for people with access to less resources than mm-hmm. he does. Mm-hmm. Um, it's true. That, you know, oh, society will crumble and yet I will survive. Yeah. And I will come out the victor. And mm-hmm. it's like, yes, but if, you know, we think about society crumbling, I think about, um, you know, a lack of government yeah. that is whose purpose is to help its citizens mm-hmm. not there anymore. I'm thinking, you know, this is just the health teacher in me. I'm just like, people are not going to have access to food, access to clean water and sanitation. Um, uh, they're not going to be as protected from illness and diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, thinking like, Oh, well let's just let society crumble and whatever happens to anyone else is like their, their problem. problem. That's true. And that to me is very foolish and short sighted. Yes. But I don't know if that's necessarily fool archetype. Because I don't know that foolish and short-sighted is the same as being the fool. This it could true. be naive, which is perhaps the virgin. The youngest, naive, right. most innocent one. I don't know. I mean, that's mm. that's the problem with these archetypes. They're not well-defined. Be- because, and they're vague. Yeah. Though also, I'm thinking about, see, where I always come from with Marty. Yeah. Him letting the world end. Like, when it comes down to that final decision, if you were, I don't know, in Marty's position, would right. you, like, let yourself die or kill yourself to save the whole world? So here's the thing. Yeah. If it were me. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, I would. However. If you were the virgin and I was the fool. Right. So, however, if, like, when Dana is holding a gun yes. to, and so, like, if I were, like, I w- had to kill Actively you. Actively kill somebody? I don't know if I could. I, I don't know if I could. Absolutely could not. No, and part of it is because I'm like, maybe the society that comes after this won't be better, but it can't be fucking worse because the society we have right now is built upon killing the people that I love and for no reason other than they're young. To appease the ancient ones. But like, who decided this? Why is this the world that we need to live in? You know? I'm, yeah, I don't know. I'm, like, kind of on Marty's – I get what you mean about it being short-sighted, yeah. and I agree with that, but I also think about it in terms of, like, I don't know, you get those sort of arguments about abolishing the police. Sure. Like, well, what would we put in its place? Yes, well, it's like, yes. I don't know, but the system we have right now is bad and actively killing people. Right. So let's or think like, about what to put in its place. Yeah, or we could give – more money to like social workers yeah so like is there another solution to this that isn't killing like are they every year going to this i don't know wherever they are the state are they pulling people from all over america i don't know it doesn't seem like they travel very far do they set up in different places i don't know I have no but idea. at very least they're killing about five young people a year right and that's just in the u.s because we also With, see yeah. they were going to steal a whole in Japan, Buenos Aires. Uh, yeah, uh, we see something Chernobyl? in. I think Stockholm. We see yeah, Cho- Stockholm. Stockholm. Yeah, yeah. No, they were going to kill an entire schoolroom of Japanese of schoolgirls, uh, adorable little schoolgirls, adorable yeah. little school. Like, why is that our system? That's fucked up. Hmm. Is that really the best we've got? Right. It, like, yes. what? What's the problem with the old gods? I literally, they never say what the wrong thing is about the old gods. They just like a sacrifice yeah because which is not great they're yeah maybe a little uh what's the word um self-serving yeah whatever yeah if you do think about marty as the virgin mm-hmm. it does open up the opportunity for there to have alternate endings for this movie oh yes which is like mainly dana like the director dying dana actually succumbing to blood loss because she just got 
et by a werewolf. She got et. <laughs> right? And, yeah. you know, Marty being like, well, I guess I got to face the end of the world by myself. But then there goes Dana's blood down to the old god. And the old god just goes back to sleep. And Marty's like, well, I mean, I guess I am a virgin, so. You can you just know? live. Yeah. Right? Like, that's an interesting thought. Hmm. And then there's another thought of, like, if they did do the archetypes right, and it had been the fool and the virgin at the end, but in that case, Marty and Jules. Ooh. Jules, I don't know, pre-med, do no harm. She might have been, yeah, willing, like you were saying, willing to, like, kill herself, sacrifice sure. herself. And then that would have been a different ending. It would have been. Like, if they had archetyped this differently, I also could see Dana being very willing to shoot Holden. Actually, really, any of them being willing to shoot Holden. No offense to Holden. They just don't know him very well. They just don't know him very well. Yeah, he's, it's, like, the new guy. And yeah. she, she said she was probably not going to shoot Marty, but she almost shot Marty, and she they seem to be good friends. So, like, yeah, she'd probably shoot Holden. So, like, basically, if they had archetyped this in a different way, this could have gone a very, very different movie. Yeah. It's just because they archetyped it the way they did. And what I've always, ever since I saw this movie for the first time, what I've always dreamt in my fantasy is that um like it would work like a video game and each watching there would be like a different monster they pick yeah because the buckners are great but like i mean they got a hundred percent success rate they do have a hundred percent success rate but like what's up with the doctors what's up with the dismemberment goblins what's up with the angry molesting tree i don't really want to see the merman but for Hadley's sake let's see the merman yeah well we do get to see the well, merman yeah. yeah um just a giant ass snake yeah what would a, that just a giant snake like that giant snake has to have a 100 percent clearance rate and yeah how could it not there's no way uh, it's they, huge i they also have the thing about like what they've had like the american company has been successful every year since like 82 or something oh yeah i, I want to see that year yeah what happened that year <laughs> who yeah. fucked it up which monster could not could not do it and also i do wonder uh, uh more of the specificity around the the other rituals that are happening around yeah. the world tell me about what's happening in buenos aires yeah tell me what's happening in kyoto i think Which it's one? kyoto we see one where there's like a minotaur or something looking thing and then we see like a gorilla with horns right yeah 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 that's yeah yeah, yeah what like, what's that? going on there know? yeah i want to know all about that right and then this was something i wanted to look up before we recorded but it's way too late now um i was wondering about like uh, are, are those parts of rituals that come from like that culture's folklore yeah i don't actually remember seeing any monsters that come from like noticeably come from other folklore like i don't see any like japanese only or mm-hmm. like any chupacabra that's right yeah you know so that's an interesting thought i hadn't thought about that before mm-hmm. One last thing I wanted to talk about yeah. in terms of Marty being our final girl. Yes. Yeah. Um, is how he actually has this weird relationship with the monsters. He does? Yeah. Okay. He has a connection to them. Like, who... How so? Who kills the director in the end? It's Patience, Patience Buckner, Buckner with yeah. Marty given the assist. Like, the two final girls come in and to kill the director in the end if the director is the evil one. Right. Right. I mean, I just think about all the monsters being, like, trapped there just as much as our young people are. Right? Right. And in a yes. way, they work together to kill the director. They work together. He's the one who rejects the system and awakens the old gods, you know, which apparently are products. The monsters are products of the old gods. They say it comes from downstairs. Yes. So it's unclear. Um, the zombie that Marty kills with a trowel. Yes. 
saves them from getting shot. Dismembered that guy with a trowel. The zombie hand, the dismembered hand <laughs> comes over true. and saves them immediately. The oh. monsters never actually, other than, you know, the Buckners up above. Yeah. Once they get below, none of the monsters actually attack Dana or Marty. That's they true. They don't even seem that interested in them. No. I mean, fair enough, though. The monsters do seem busy. They do. Yeah. Um, When Dana almost kills Marty, it's one of the monsters that saves him. The, well. The werewolf. The werewolf. But we, but Marty sees the werewolf. Yeah. And doesn't say anything to Dana. Yeah. Probably Again, because he wants to live. An interesting connection. I just feel like, I just had this odd sense this time watching it that Marty and the monsters are on the same side. Oh. And that they actually want to awaken the old gods and not and be trapped in their little cages anymore. Be and just let all of this crumble. Do something and be else. free, you know? Mm. It's too much surveillance. It's too much yeah. technology. That's what Marty talks about. That's what these monsters are stuck in. Wow. Little does he know what's going to come 10 years later. Because this movie is from 2012, and I'm like, you want to talk about surveillance? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that was my final thought. Wow. 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 Once again, so we want to play a game. Oh, yeah, let's play a game. Let's play archetypes. So we've we've correctly assigned the archetypes for the five characters in Cabin in the Woods. Um, and, and this is just a fun game to play. Uh. When you have a group of five, you can put them into, it's fun to put them into the archetypes of uh, the whore, the virgin, the scholar, the, the athlete. athlete, and the fool. Um, so one of one of my favorite scary movies of all time is Scream. Mm-hmm. I love Scream, um, which is, again, probably one of those movies you only watched because you I made were like, you. Yeah, we're watching this movie. But now. aren't you happy you did? I do remember getting very scared when I went to the bathroom during it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is a really good movie, though. You didn't say I'll be right back, did you? <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> so we, we were thinking about the, the five characters, the five main characters in the first original Scream, Wes mm-hmm. Craven Scream, 1996. Um. We've got five main characters. We've got Sidney Prescott. We've got Dewey Riley, mm-hmm. his younger sister Tatum Riley, played by Rose McGowan. Oh, Rose. We've got Gail Weathers, and we have uh, Randy Meeks. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking if we if we put them in those archetypes and we follow the Cabin in the Woods rules of the whore must die first. Yeah. Um, that puts Tatum, Rose McGowan's character, pretty squarely as the whore. Yeah. Um, which makes sense. She does have uh, a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. But um, she's Rose McGowan. <laughs> and she's Rose McGowan. Also, I know. She's always the whore. Also, no offense to her. <laughs> I mean, she does wonderful work. Yeah. Um, also, we, I do also, I think anyone who's seen Scream, it, however long ago it's been since they've seen it, recalls how prominent her nipples are. God, so. Uh. And I understand that that was probably like a choice of the time yeah that it, it was the mid 90s nipples were in yeah whatever yeah I'm, I, I feel like her role in charmed also had prominent nipples which oh, was not okay. necessary i don't know i'm gonna i believe you though yeah. yeah um so and and we already know again that sydney is the virgin yeah. we know she's literally she's a virgin explicitly a virgin until the monster of the film the villain of the film one of them sleeps with her right right um so she's she has to be yeah. the virgin right and she's and so, the one who gets the final kill she is the final girl so mm-hmm. like she kind of has to be the virgin that way yeah um but then that leaves dewey gail 
and Randy. And I'm going to make the argument that Randy is our scholar. Ooh, because he knows the most about horror films. He knows films. the most about horror films. He understands Smart. what they've gotten themselves into. See, I was going full because he's, you know, funny. Yeah, because he is funny. I but think, no, I think you have a point. But see, then that would... So if I, I think that Randy would be the scholar, mm-hmm. I think Dewey's the fool. He's kind of bumbling. Yeah. Uh, um, not confidence inducing because he is in law enforcement yeah um but but then and then that leaves gail to be the athlete i mean she is a go-getter she is a go-getter sure she's always she almost is always the first one rushing into places that's true (laughs) and she has some actual kills on her belt by the end of this year whole series (laughs) by the end of the entire series she's got quite a few kills (laughs) yeah i don't know if that makes her an athlete Um, i think we i think there's also a scene of her running in heels yeah which which, is an athletic feat for sure i mean i feel like the more what the more stereotypical version of the archetypes but again people don't fit into archetypes very well would be dewey as our athlete because he's our like law man sure gail as our scholar because she's like interested in pursuing the truth yeah she's interested in pursuing the truth yeah Though that could be maybe the fool, if we think about the Shakespearean fool. Mm, mm-hmm. In which case, so yeah, her and, I forgot his name again. Randy. Randy. Her and Randy could maybe switch between the fool and the scholar. Right. I think arguments could be made for either of them. Absolutely, right. So, okay, I'm going to give you mm-hmm. a group of five, and yeah. you're going to tell me who fits what archetype. Yeah, rapid fire. Rapid fire, all right. Uh, the Spice Girls. So so easy, the, easy, easy. Oh, I got okay. this. Posh Spice, obviously our whore. Oh, wow. Okay. Obviously, our whore. She's the most sexual. She always has the shortest skirts and the most she makeup. She does, yeah. Shortest skirts, most makeup. Whore. Whore. Yeah. Baby Spice is probably our virgin. Definitely. Baby Spice. I would I hope because she's Baby Spice. Right, yeah. yeah. She's supposed to be young and virginal and yes. cutesy. Um, sporty Spice. Athlete. Is there athlete? Yeah, that's easy. Uh, yeah, that's easy. Okay. This one gets a little more tricky. I would say Scary Spice is our fool. Oh. I feel like, I don't know, in this odd way... She's kind of the outlier. She's kind of the oddball in the group. And I feel like that could Only one in. of color. Only one of color. Yeah. She's the one who kind of does the more rappy part. Sure. You know, she's just kind of the different one. Right. And I feel like that gives her some status as a fool. Mm-hmm. And then... Ginger. Ginger is my scholar because she's the only one who named herself after an actual spice. <laughs> Done. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, I thought it was... I thought that it was just coincidence because she's a redhead. It is, but it's funny. But it works, yes. Um, okay. Very interesting. Rapid fire, your turn. Okay. Simpsons family. Okay, so Marge, Bart, Homer, Lisa, and Maggie. Yes. Uh, now, this is a tough one because Maggie is a baby. <laughs> um, but if you are as big of a fan of The Simpsons as I am, I'm not. Maggie Simpson will fuck you up. She's oh very violent, actually, <laughs> yes. So I'm thinking Lisa is our scholar. Absolutely. Obviously. I know enough about Simpsons to know that. Yes. Um, I think that Homer is our fool mm. uh, because he is li- literally of low intelligence. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the, the comedy comes from Homer. Yeah. Um, I think Bart is our athlete. Okay. Um, I know that he skates boards. He skates boards. He's not our scholar <laughs> no. at all. But then that just leaves Marge and Maggie. I don't want either of them to be a whore. I don't either. I think either of them should die first. They should live forever. Right. Well, I mean, they have. It's, yeah. You know, tell me, tell me about it. Maggie's been one for <laughs> 33 years now. Yeah. Um, 
I, I think Marge is our virgin. She's very sweet. She assumes the best of people. Mm-hmm. Um, she's very motherly in that yeah. way. Right. Um, and that leaves Maggie as the whore. And I don't want to call a fictional <laughs> one-year-old a whore. Um, See, that? I feel like that's the fun part about archetypes. Yeah. Is that it never really works out in the end. No. They don't work. I think because that's what makes kind of the movie interesting is that the archetypes don't work. That's why these rituals don't work. That's why it failed. Yeah. Yeah. I think. It, but it's still a fun game just to think about it. Maggie often wakes up and chooses violence. <laughs> is um, that athlete behavior maybe? Oh. Is, is Bart the whore? Is Bart a whore? <laughs> Bart does love to put on a show. Mm. He loves to put on a show. He loves to pull a prank with an yes. audience. Yes. Yes. He's, he's an attention seeker. He is an attention seeker. Which is often something okay. that's lodged against, you know, slutty women. Of course. Yeah. They're just doing it for the attention. Okay. 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 Uh, revamp. Okay. I'm I'm keeping Lisa's the scholar. She's very intelligent. Yeah. Um, I'm keeping Homer as the fool. Uh, I'm still going to keep Marge as the virgin. However, yes, I think Bart is our whore. Yeah. And that leaves Maggie to be our yeah, athlete because yeah. she, she wakes up and often wakes up and chooses yeah. violence. Yeah. Um, she has, for a baby, has a significant amount of enemies. Um, <laughs> she shot Mr. Burns in what? season six. Yeah. No, she's, she's violent. That's really fun. Yeah. She has babies who, she, or sorry, uh, Maggie. Maggie has enemies who are fellow babies and adults. I love that for her. Yeah. So I guess that just kind of leaves her to be. To, to be the athlete. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just a fun game that y'all can play at home with, for example, the Scooby gang. Yeah. If you want to decide if Which a dog is a virgin or a whore. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Deep Thoughts, Shallow Plots. Make sure to join us next time where we'll be overanalyzing 2015's The Witch. We just want to take a moment to thank our sound guy, Matt, who is also responsible for our super awesome theme song. Yes. Thank you, Matt. Uh, And until next time, you gotta wake up. Your shit is topsy-turvy.